ser benfiquista é uma crença. É uma religião muito grande. A visão de culto. A coragem, que é a liberdade, que é crer, que é vontade, que é o caráter das pessoas. A alma de quem é grande, maior que os maiores. É uma paixão pela explicação. Eu não consigo explicar o que é ser do Benfica. Eu sinto o que é ser do Benfica. Mas de facto uma paixão. E as paixões são assim, vivem-se assim, intensamente. Aqui não há nenhuma razão. É paixão, paixão, paixão. Ser Benfica. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Talking to the Law Befica podcast, episode 358. And I bet you didn't think that we were going to put out another episode for a while, but here we are, 358. And and before I, I introduce everyone that, that's here with, with me, uh, I just wanted to say a, a quick word. Uh, I know that we often take off uh, for international breaks when Befica doesn't play, when there's an extended break. Uh, and we're, we're very eager to take off, uh, not to only get that, that mental break and, and pause, but, uh, you know, just there's nothing to talk about. We're not, you know, I'm not at least big fans of interna- of the international breaks or an international, the Portuguese national team. Uh, but uh, this week I, I felt compelled, and me personally, I felt compelled uh, to bring a podcast to you uh, because of everything that's going on. As you know, Football is uh, on pause uh, almost worldwide. There's still some leagues that have been played, been played. Uh, but I felt compelled uh, to bring you some entertainment, um, despite you know everything that goes on. Uh, I feel that uh, entertainment is always a good source, a good source of, of distraction, a good source of pastime. And I know that a lot of folks is, are locked in their houses and uh, bored out of their minds. So uh, we felt compelled to, to bring you some some Mifiga content. There's no way around it. Uh, coronavirus is here. So uh, a lot of this uh, podcast, a lot of the content that you hear on the podcast today will have some connection to the to the coronavirus but that's that's our reality that's the reality that we live in today and that's the reality that uh, a lot of us will live for the next uh, few months if everything uh, goes well of course um tonight um with me Cristiano Oliveira how are you Cristiano what's going on Alfredo um glad to be back on a podcast obviously the circumstances is not um you know what, what we all wanted to be here under these circumstances i should say but um you did a, a magnificent job of uh, of of just saying what I, at least i felt over the last couple of days of you know we're in uh, uncharted waters it's it's very um uh, interesting and very uh, I, I, you know intimidating what we're going through uh, things that we've not seen in, in in our history so i think you uh said it very well and I, and you know i just wanted to say that i, I agree and, and share the same sentiment you do um, also, another staple presence on the podcast, Dave De Oliveira up in Toronto. What's going? On? Nothing much. Good to be back on. Uh, like you said, a uh, lot of a uh, lot of hardship going on right now in the world. A lot of questions. So we're going to try to keep it light and, uh, like you said, bring the entertainment to the people because uh, God knows that uh, people need uh, the distraction at times like this. Yeah. And our uh, our guest tonight and a friend of the podcast, you may know him as uh, as uh, Patrick Kendrick. Well, you should know him as Patrick Kendrick, <laughs> uh, but uh, he has worked for Benfica, has worked for uh, Inter Milan. Um, he has done a lot of commentating 
uh, for both Portuguese football and also Italian football in English. Uh, and that's where you can find uh, Patrick on airwaves. Now, not so much. Uh, but uh, Patrick's been a friend of the show. He is a UEFA accredited translator. So you, you probably have seen him on some uh, on some conferences. I know that uh, when uh, Klopp was in Italy, you uh, translated for him, Patrick. Uh, so, Patrick, welcome to the show. And and um, just to give a little p- people some context in, in terms of Patrick. Patrick uh, has been living in in Italy for what now two years, Patrick? Yeah, just over just over two years this time just, around. Yeah, yeah. And you're you're where in Milan? Yeah, I'm in Milan. Right. Um, normally, where the magic happens, not so much at the moment. Yeah, unfortunately, Italy's been really struck with the outbreak of uh, COVID nineteen or coronavirus. So yeah, we're. Um, we're right in the thick of it at the moment. It does feel like a bit of a war zone, but uh, no, great to be on the podcast, guys. And I'm looking forward to catching up and chatting and talking about Benfica and you know where this whole situation leaves us. Because as Chris said, uncharted waters, it, is, it really is unprecedented. And Alfredo and I were just talking before we came on air, just saying that this will probably be the, the big event of our lifetimes. And I think everyone will have a story to tell about this. And hopefully it'll be something we look back on in a few years and it will be tragic, but hopefully we can... We can get through it. Yeah. So with the, living in, in Milan and, and kind of uh, going about your, your everyday life, how do, how do you – what was your reaction to the way this rolled in, right? Because we saw the outbreak in China, everything that was happening in China, and we're thinking, okay, well, this is, this is China. It'll be a while before it gets to some of the, the eastern countries, Europe uh, – I'm sorry, western countries, Europe, uh, the U.S., but then all of a sudden we see this 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 huge not not huge but significant outbreak in Italy. What was it like going through that? Well, yeah, I mean, they they talk about this famous you know um, patient zero or whatever. Supposedly, someone came back from a business trip from China and then had dinner with another guy who was infected. And I think it's just such a unique disease in the sense that. A lot of people are asymptomatic. They don't know they're carrying it. It's really contagious, as we're seeing. And I think because of all of that, everyone wasn't aware of those specific features of the disease. And so everyone just thought, okay, yeah, it's a long way away. It's a Chinese problem. We won't have to deal with it. We've had scares like this in the past with SARS, which, yes, did kill, uh, as far as I'm aware, thousands of people. But it never really landed on our shores. And that's why this has been so shocking because I don't think we've ever faced anything like this on the scale of this. And it just escalates so quickly. We went from, I think there's natural stages um, in terms of the way you react to this. And I've seen it elsewhere. And in Italy, we're probably ahead of where other other countries are at the moment. But initially, uh, you play it down. Then after that, you say, well, you're going to be bullish about it. No, it's not going to stop me living my daily life. And, And that was true of all of Italian society. Uh, And then after that, you start to get to grips with, okay, now the government is going to enforce a quarantine on certain people. They're going to impose a lockdown on all areas of society. Uh, And initially, you're resistant to that. And only afterwards, do you realize, okay, this is common sense. But it took a long while, and I'm the first to admit this on a personal level, a long while to realize that it wasn't about me getting it as a a, relatively young fit individual it's about me potentially having it not having symptoms going about my daily life and then spreading it to two or three or five people who then in turn may 
spread it onto another half a dozen people. <laughs> Christiana's knocking me off my stride there in the in the background. Um, on a on a serious subject as well. Thanks for that, Chris. And um, and so that's what it's more about. It's more about the fact that um, unwittingly we can pass it on to vulnerable members of society, people who are at risk, and then. There's only one way of stopping this, it seems, and it, it, it seems to be everyone needs to avoid contact with one another. It's so-called social distancing, which is now one of these buzzwords. So I think a lot of us, a lot of the rest of the world can learn from Italy at the moment, certainly learn from the mistakes, because I think we were slow to react here, and I'm, I'm just throwing us all in there. I'm not pointing the finger government or otherwise. You know, it was a region-by-region region basis, then it became a national response to it. Um and now I think I see what's going on in the UK and they don't seem to be making a decision. And I just think you have to be drastic and you can't be too cautious at this moment in time. And, you know, we, we bring it back to football because, well, football is my livelihood, but it's, it's all of our passion, I think. Um, everyone, you know, especially those listening to this, loves the game. And so to see matches, first of all, being played behind closed doors and then postponed and then called off completely, was quite hard to take, um, you know, initially from a financial perspective. Um, but then after that, you look at the bigger picture and you think, bloody hell, yeah, it's, um, this is really serious. And I completely agree um, with what you said in your introduction, Alfredo, in that it is diversion, ultimately, entertainment. And that's why I thought it, I was so keen for football to continue whilst the situation was looking pretty bleak to begin with. But it gets to a stage where it's just reckless and it's almost um, unkind on the people that are suffering from this. You know, it's almost rubbing their nose in it. It's saying, okay, well, football's so important, it must go on. You know, I, I, I don't remember who it was that said football's the most important of the least important things in life, but it's someone like Bob Paisley or someone like that. Mm. Um, I'm sure our good friend Michael Lobsch will be able to tell us what it, <laughs> whether it was him or not. But, um, yeah, it's it comes to a stage where it goes beyond football and it's a societal problem and it's okay. Now football needs to stop. Football needs to acknowledge it. Uh, we need to stop making forecasts and putting timeframes on when the game can resume, I think. And I think we need to work on dealing with this globally, trying to find a vaccine. And yeah, it's been, it's, it's been unlike anything else I've ever known. You know, you don't go 30 seconds in the day without thinking about it. It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah, I had this conversation with Alfredo off the air, Patrick, and um, you know, I told him that it's crazy in our lifetime. We've gone through, you know, nine eleven. Um, you, myself, uh, Alfredo, already, you know, adults. Uh, Dave's probably still, you know, in his diapers. But and, and now we're going through this epidemic, and it's just it's it's these things that we've we're living through a time that come a thousand years from now the, the world's still around that people are going to revert back to this time and talk about these historic moments and the one thing we've always had is even as like i said we went through 9-11 and a couple of days later the sports world came back into play and it kind of takes your mind away from reality for a moment and you know you get to to to, to, to release that stress because you're involved in the moment and then obviously the reality of, of of the seriousness is still going on but you get you get to float away for a little while and now 
with the whole world. I mean, this is, like I said before, uncharted waters. This is totally different from anything we've ever been accustomed to. Obviously, I wasn't around in, you know, World War One and World War Two and all that stuff. But I could only imagine that, you know, it was something similar to then when the whole sporting world came to a stop, to a halt. And it's just this has been really tough to grasp, because, as I said, no matter how tough uh, things got for me, I always knew I had the, the sporting world that I could revert back to and kind of clear my mind. And it's and right now we can't do that. I mean, you guys, uh, this question is not just for you, Pat, just for the rest of you guys. I mean, are you feeling that same that same uh, like you, like there's a hole in your life like 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 it is in mine? Absolutely. I mean, for me, it just feels like everything's been put on on pause, really, because you can't go about your your daily life like you used to. You got to have precautions. Uh, you want to go to the movie theater, watch a movie. You can't. You want to go to a sporting event. You can't. You want to go to a concert. You can't. All of this has been put on on hold. And, and like you said, uh, uh, Cristiano, before we had these 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 catastrophic events or, or very. Uh, very significant events in our lives, such as, as 9-11. It could have been a conflict in, in another world, uh, a terrorist attack, so on and so forth. But you've always had that escape where uh, you could go listen to live music. You could go to a movie. You could go to, to, a, to, a, to a football match. And that kind of took away, like you said. But now it seems that everything has been put on pause. You, you, there, there's no way to kind of divest yourself from the daily life um, outside of your house, really. I mean, you could turn on Netflix, do this and do that. But other than that, I mean, after a while, how many series can you watch in a row until you just you just want to get up off the couch and say, I'm, I'm done with this. I need to go outside and breathe some real air. Yeah, that's why there's there's been there's been websites and channels and, 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 and media services that have actually taken some drastic steps here. And Patrick, who happens to be in Italy, Pornhub in Italy has actually given people free access to all their content. Patrick. You I'll, tell you, I'll tell you a word for that. I best not, you know, I best not be heard in the other room if I'm, uh, if I'm claiming that one. Yeah, no, I saw that on social media, which is interesting. Yeah, Pornhub seems to be really popular in Italy. There was a, there was a player for, um, for Verona on loan from Atalanta, um, Matteo Pessina, he, I think he had some sort of sponsorship deal with him as well. They were sending him sort of uh, gear and things like that, T-shirts and stuff. But yeah, no, I thought that was quite nice, you know. But that's, again, that's a sort of form of diversion, isn't it? It's a, it's a quick, clever marketing thing. It's something that makes you smile for two seconds and then you immediately get back to what's going on and you think, bloody hell, yeah. And, and there's there's just no getting away from it at all. And I think you're absolutely right sport entertainment whatever it has been there's always been escapism there but there's no escaping this for the moment yeah right, take us back to the to when the country announced that everyone had to pretty much be isolated in their home what was that like i mean obviously at that moment now you know forget sports now you can't even you know get any around and 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 and, and mingle with your friends and and go see people that you care about now all of a sudden it's about you know seclusion being stuck in your house what was that like for someone living in Italy? Obviously, out here we read about it, but we haven't gotten to those steps yet, which I think they might be coming, but we haven't gotten to that point yet. Take us back to that initial shock of, of hearing that news. Yeah, I think it's going to be really difficult for the U.S. as well. What's it, 300-plus million people in 50 states and the federal system anyway? That's for you guys and Trump to figure out, et cetera. But, um, yeah, it was the problem was it was leaked. Um, so it was the Sunday evening when it all started to um, – Matteo Salvini, who's a politician for Lega, they're quite a divisive group. Um, they used to be Lega Nord, they sort of campaigned for separatism of um, the north part of the country. 
uh, on his Facebook page, they leaked a draft text of what the of what the lockdown was going to look like. Um, and people panicked and got on trains and ironically did a lot more harm than good. And so there was mass uh, fleeing from the north to the south of the country. Italy is, uh, because of a cultural thing, a lot of people have second homes by the beach. Um, so a lot of people, and the, most of those are in the south of the, well, a lot of them are in the south of the country, down on the coast. So people uh, just packed up their things and left from one minute to the next. And they think that actually degenerated, um, the situation deteriorated because of that. And there are a lot more cases of contagion because of it. So there was widespread panic. There wasn't a lot of understanding about what was going on. I had two or three days left uh, of work left over. I was working, I did a commentary. I actually did the last game, the most recent game in Serie A, which was Sassuolo Brescia, which was really weird. It was a 6.30 kickoff on a Monday. Um, it was the last of the six matches which had been postponed from the previous weekend. And at half time in that match, it was already leaking that the country was going to go on lockdown. So even from a broadcasting perspective, it wasn't official, so I couldn't really acknowledge it on the broadcast. Um, so that was very strange. So I had two or three days of work left over. But as of the Tuesday, I think we were all on lockdown. Um, the Tuesday morning or maybe midnight from Monday to Tuesday. And so it's only been a week. It's felt like the longest week of my life. Um, my flat is not huge. I mean, I'm fortunate to live in the center of, uh, of Milan. You know, thankfully we have enough to eat and, you know, it, but it's, it's been weird. You know, I, I live right on, uh, I overlook one of the, the busiest sort of uh, road arteries in the city and it's just like a ghost town. It is like watching something out of the, the Walking Dead. It really is. And um, you go out to the supermarket and they're queuing. Um, it's one in, one out of the supermarkets. People stand, standing a, a meter away from each other. I posted a video about that on Twitter the other day. People wearing masks and gloves. I did likewise. And, you know, Initially, you put it on and you feel a bit stupid and then you have a bit of a laugh about it and then you think, look what we've been reduced to. Um, it's, unlike, it's unlike anything else I've ever known. And... I think the difference, you know, we've we've harked back to, to world wars and things. This is very comfortable living, I have to say, you know, in, in terms of us having to make sacrifices. I mean, staying in the house with Netflix and Internet and smartphones and being able to phone people on WhatsApp is just a world away from people, you know, being bombed in cities and, and having to deal with rationing and things like that. So I think we're, you know, it really is the first world problems, you know, but um it, you know, it, it's all in, it's all relative, isn't it, to your own experience. So I don't think we've ever had a threat on our liberty like this before. And people are realizing that, you know, the greater good is is at stake. And we're all trying to sort of club together and um, hunker down and all that, you know, all that, that sort of terminology. But it, it has been a really weird situation. And despite these best efforts, you know, you see some numbers, I was pulling up the statistics earlier. I mean, I don't, really want to have to quote these because well this is as of six o'clock tonight um 31 and a half thousand instances of coronavirus um with uh 26,000 are positive 2,900 have been cured um but you know 2,503 deaths and it's just astonishing i mean i think it's second in the world now behind um behind China and it's not a competition and it's not who's managing it better and more people died here or there. 
it's just tragic that people are losing their lives over this. And it's, it's, it's been a whirlwind, Chris. Like I said, it's in some ways so much has happened in this week. In other ways, it feels like a month has gone by. And it's pretty bleak. You know, we don't see... We don't see much progress. I think the last three days, there's been no increase in the number of cases. I think it's been steady. So if it's been 300 today, it was 300 yesterday, it's 300 the day before. And sooner or later, that number needs to drop. But, but even when that stabilizes in Italy, then France is a week behind us and there are still people out drinking in the street. You know, um, sorry, guys, I don't want to monopolize at all um, the mic on this. It's um, I'm just thinking out loud. And I know this is not a really a logical train of thought, but it, it has um, it has really knocked us all off our stride. And it's very hard to sort of get your bearings. And it's hard to stay positive. You know, I've been working a lot of my Portuguese. I've been trying to tra- channel my energy. But so much of my working week is spent on football, preparing for matches, commenting on matches, talking about what's going on in Italian football, you know? And now it's four or five conversations a day with people that you're catching up with and you want to catch up, but inevitably all you talk about is coronavirus. Hey, uh, Patrick, uh, at what point did you, uh, did it hit home for you? I know you were saying at first you weren't taking it uh, as serious as maybe you should have been, but uh, at what point did it uh, really strike that, uh, that it was a serious, it was as serious as everyone was making it out to be there in Italy? I think it's when when you know someone that's been affected by it. So it's it's several degrees of separation, but it's so widespread now that I think if you were to talk to anyone in Milan or Lombardy, the, the region where we are in the north, you would only need two or three degrees of separation to know someone that had it. So in my case, it was um, my girlfriend. She had a former work colleague and his dad died. Um you know, in his early 70s, he were, he was in hospital, had been hospitalized for two months prior to that with an unrelated issue. And that's the irony of it. People are in hospitals. They end up being infected with coronavirus just because they're in a hospital. And then if they have a, an existing condition or they're of a certain age, then it can prove fatal. So I think that's when it really hits home. And that's when you start to, you know, because initially we're all you know, uh, like it or not, I think we are quite selfish in modern day society. And there is a tendency to think about me first and others later. And I think lots of people, myself included, thought, yeah, well, you know, what are the symptoms? Okay, it's just like a bad case of flu. And after a few days, you get over it. But then it's it's not about that. As I said, it's about how many people can be affected by it. And um, I never expected it to be this serious in Italy. And I never expected um Italy to sort of, Italy has become a sort of world leader on this inadvertently and is almost being looked upon as a sort of expert in what to do what not to do what's going to happen next it's almost like you can pick up some cues or read what might be the next stage from what's happening in Italy so I think um you know we see some great scenes solidarity people singing on balconies singing the national anthem six o'clock at, at night, people go out to their balconies. I mean, we don't have that because we're in a square that overlooks offices. So we've not really been in, seen that more on social media than anything else. But uh, yeah, no, I hit home as soon as, as soon as you know someone that's got it or uh, you think someone might have it and then, you know, you, you, you start to get a bit fearful. So it's been that, that stage really for me. And how is uh, day-to-day life looking in Italy? Like I know everyone's uh, been told to stay in, in seclusion, but your simple necessities, what, uh, 
just to grab groceries and your necessities, how, uh, what precautions do you have to take uh, in your day-to-day life uh, if you do have to leave the, uh, the house? Yeah, so it's pharmacies, um, supermarkets, um, sort of bank, uh, ATM cash machines, and yeah, doctors, uh, hospitals really that are open. So, I mean, we've been out twice, I think, in a week to go to just to go to the supermarket, really. And even then, it was a half an hour queue to get in, and uh, took plenty of time to to get to, you know to get round as well. Um, touch wood, we haven't needed to go to the pharmacy. We're all they're all stocked up, and we're feeling healthy from that perspective. But it's um, you need a certificate um, which you're supposed to compile yourself to justify any other reasons. Technically, you can still go out for approved professional reasons. So tomorrow, for instance, I have an hour's work uh, where I comment out. I've got some voiceover work to do. It's the last job I've got booked for the foreseeable future. So I've compiled a form and. I'll have that on my phone, and if I get stopped by police, then I'll I'll gladly show them that. And in some ways, I hope I do get stopped by police because you still read about people going out and about, people not taking it seriously, people still going to the parks and things. I think in Italy we're past that stage, but I've seen a lot of uh, clips on social media, people in France drinking by the river and all this sort of things. And I think um, that can be quite reckless, really. So, yeah, from a day-to-day perspective, it is just stay at home, stay at yeah. home. If you want some fresh air, go out onto the balcony, put your yeah. head out the window. You know, it's it's crazy, but that's that's what we're doing, and we're we're sticking to it. I read this morning that uh, you guys will be uh, reaching peak about next uh, around next week. You'll be reaching peak. I read that on CNN. Um, any other measures, or, or what are some of the foreseeable measures? Would now this have uh, reaching peak? They're now going on a, on a downward trend. What measures uh, have you heard from in terms of uh, what the government is telling you, or even any other authorities? Well, it's critical at the moment in terms of the um, the health services. So they're right at capacity in terms of the ICU. Um, so the intensive care units, um, so much so that there's actually a trade fair site uh, here in the city, um, which is however many thousands of square feet, um, which is empty, and they're turning that into a, they're converting that into a temporary hospital. I think Berlusconi's given 10 million euros today um, towards that. So uh, that will be the next stage. We'll be trying to equip as many temporary facilities as possible. To, to deal with the increased demand. But as of the next measures, we don't really know too much. I would think caution would be the watchword because the last thing you want to do is impose a, a lockdown for a week or two, control the situation, and then as soon as you give that liberty back to people, they all go out to the streets, they'll go out drinking, and then they actually end up um, worsening the situation. So I have a feeling that this will be part of life for one month, two months, three months, whatever it may be. Um, and I think it's so hard to put a time frame on it. I think they want to because they want to reassure people. But, um, you know, just bring it back to football again. When I read things about all the European leagues need to be finished by the 30th of June, I just think there's absolutely no chance whatsoever. <laughs> I really don't want to say that because it's my livelihood at stake. And it was a great Serie A season. And I was absolutely loving it. And um, I was supposed to, I was going to the Euros as well to work. So, you know, it's, it's a big game changer from that perspective. But um, like I said... You've got to try and look at the bigger picture. And um, if the season gets null and void, so be it. I, I saw a ridiculous report in Abala that Benfica were trying to say that they should. Uh, I mean, I don't know if this was 
this was actually from an official source at the club, but the idea that the season would end at the halfway point because Benfica were top at the time and now they're one point off the top. I don't know if you've seen the link. I saw a I piece saw, in that article. But uh, I thought it was a spoof at one stage. So uh, anyway, Chris, Chris is frowning at me, so I'm going to leave no, it. No, there. no, I just I haven't. <laughs> I, I, listen, I've been isolated myself. I haven't, I haven't seen that article you're talking about. But whoever did that is, is, is you know, stupid. Uh, and, and just real quick, just to finish off on your point, Pat, when you just for those that are wondering why Patrick is doesn't think that you'll be able to finish a season by June 30th, it's because for those of you that don't know, players' contracts all expire. Guys that are they're going to become free agents, will be free agents as of July 1st. So therefore, you can't have games in July because some of the players on your roster, some of your key players will no longer be under contract for your team. Therefore, they can't play and represent your team. So I'm, I'm guessing that's why you don't think it, it, it could happen. Correct, Patrick? Am I, am I correct? I, mean, I think that's the sort of, I think that's a secondary reason, to be honest. I just think more of the time frame that we're seeing here and because it's so staggered all across countries. You know, Germany's gone on, Belgium went on lockdown today. Germany went on lockdown a day or two ago, the same for France. We've been here for a week. The US hasn't got there yet. England doesn't know what it's doing. You know, I think um, I would be surprised if we saw any football before September. My inclination is, and this is just a hunch, I have no knowledge whatsoever, obviously, because I don't think any, even the authorities do, but I have a feeling we won't see any football before September. And I think the season might just be a write-off and we just say, play 2020, 2021 as if 2019, 2020 had never happened, which is going to obviously then trigger a load of lawsuits and things like that. But I, I just I can't see any situation whereby, unless they just say we're going to play the rest of the season behind closed doors. But in Italy, the cases are, are on the increase all the time. Matuidi came down with it today. Uh, Rugani's got it. Uh, I saw something about Valencia, 35% of their players. Matuidi. That was from when, yeah, exactly. That was when they came to Milan um, to play Atalanta. So God knows how many Atalanta players have it. Atalanta technically was supposed to resume training yesterday. I don't know if they did or not. I hope they didn't. That to me seems a bit reckless. Um, so, but yeah, the contract thing is massive. I mean, you know, these guys are worth millions and millions of, of dollars. And they've got multi, you know, huge insurance policies. You can't play if you're not under contract. What do you, you break a leg? You've got you've got no coverage whatsoever. What do you think about the way that the Italian Federation handled this whole thing? You think they they were on time? Were they late to react to to, they to were late. games? They were late to okay, give us your thoughts on that for those that don't follow Serie as closely as obviously as you do. Yeah, it's tricky. I mean, I'm going to be, you know. I'm going to be upfront about this. Um, I mean, technically, I, <laughs> I work for the league, so I need to be a little bit careful with what I say, um, albeit indirectly. Uh, I think they were slow. I think there's so much money at stake. I think it's not just the money. It is that whole thing of the show must go on. Let's keep the people entertained. They're going through a terrible time, and football has always been escapism for the masses. Um, and there are huge contracts at play. You know, you've got broadcasters putting pressure. You've got the... The team's putting pressure on it. You know, initially it wasn't, no one was really sure what was going to happen. We had a bizarre situation. I was very lucky in that um, over two weekends before everything was called off, the games were disrupted. Um, and yet I did a game on the Friday evening. It was Brescia against Napoli. That went ahead fine. And Brescia is actually in Lombardy, which has been the worst affected region. Then I did the, I think I did a Roma game that weekend. And then I did two games the following weekend which neither of which were affected either. I got very fortunate with that. Whereas other people, 
if they were doing games um, in northern Italy or elsewhere a week later, then those games were called off. So I think it was more the the lack of consistency, the incoherent approach, which annoyed a lot of people. You know, they started to say, why is it um, that this game has been allowed to play? Why, why are you allowing Fiorentina to play Milan, but you're not allowing Inter to play Sampdoria in the knowledge that the Milan fans have travelled from Milan to go to Florence, you see, but you can't play a game in Milan at San Siro because Milan has been affected by it. But in the meantime, maybe some of those Milan fans are carriers and they've taken it down to Florence and things. So it was a lot of frustration from supporters. Then you had awkward situations with the fixture list and the calendar. So Inter were due to play Sampdoria. That game was called off. They ended up playing Juventus before they played Sampdoria, where initially the fixture list was that they would have played Juventus after playing Sampdoria. And of course, that does have a big psychological effect because you suddenly go into that game, albeit with a game in hand, but you're three points further away from Juventus and, and you end up losing the game. Um, and there's my slight inter-bias talking from having, having worked there. Um, but yeah, I think it's it was more that. It was a slow approach. No one really knew what was going on. The stakeholders weren't all on the same page. So you had the, the players' union that was pushing towards it all being called off. The Lega Serie A, the league that was saying, no, we can carry on. Um, then you have UEFA that are doing completely other things. You know, it's just bizarre. They were saying, why is it UEFA allow Inter to play Ludogorets at San Siro on a Thursday? But that's four days on from Inter's game against Sampdoria being called off completely. You know, it was, it was just a domino effect. It was initially, we're worried about this. Okay, behind closed doors. Oh, no, actually, it's serious. We can't play it. Um and, you know, I've, I've even had former colleagues uh, at Inter that have now been on 14-day uh, self-isolation because they, they travel to Juventus Stadium or Allianz Stadium, rather, to, uh, to cover the Derby d'Italia. And uh, because Rugani got it, then it was a case of, well, you might have it. So, you know, they've been on... And that was, that was self-isolation before the lockdown even came in. So I think they were a little bit slow to do that. And I think... My girlfriend made a good point, trying to sort of cheer me up. She said, um, "She said football was the last thing to go. It will be the first thing to to start back up again." <laughs> I hope she's right from a from a sort of professional. Agreed, agreed. Because all these decisions are being made based on money. And now, Pat, look to bring it back. Because at the end of the day, this is the Mifiga podcast, and Christian yeah. Dave yeah. Alfredo, our good buddy Patrick Kendrick, the one and only. Uh, Cinco Linguas Extraordinaire, Patrick, <laughs> is here to join us today. And look, I want to reel it back to to Benfica and the Portuguese yeah. because. Look, it, it, we thank you very much for sharing your, your, your experiences in Italy, but ultimately, ultimately people tuning in to the Benfica podcast. So I want to be right. right. Absolutely. You, yeah. you mentioned a few minutes ago that, you know, obviously, aside from the contracts expiring, you just don't think you're going to see football until, you know, September and the current standings are, you know, things are going to be affected. So the question I have for you is just like in the Serie A, the Portuguese league is, is separated by one point. Porto is in first place with 60 points, Benfica with 59. So you're so. Basically, on what you said just a few minutes ago, clarify it for us. You're saying that this this season, this this historically is going to be scrapped, uh, and basically the, the European and Champions League spots will be rewarded based on last year's 2018 2019 statistics. Um, is 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 that what you going to happen? That would be my solution. Okay. That would be. I think that's the neatest way of doing it. It's ugly. Don't get me wrong. It's still ugly. 
But, you know, I, I don't think you can award it based on a, a, a frozen league table at any given point in time because you can't anticipate, you know, especially if I remember when I was when I was working on Portuguese football at the time, you know, the fixture list is set up in such a way to keep interest involved. You know, all those asterisks about Benfica can't play Sporting, who can't play Porto in the first few weeks of the season and they can't play both home games in the first half of the season, etc. You know, and, and that's even a, a sort of special dispensation for Portugal. But I think you could legitimately make the case, you could look at all the run-ins and the fixture list and say, well, this team hasn't played that game, you know. Um, I don't care if Liverpool are one way, one, you know, bring it back to that because that's what everyone's talking about. That's the one everyone's talking about. And I don't think you can take charity on them because it's 30 years since they won the title. And I, they might be European and world champions and they might be 25 points clear or whatever it is, but they haven't, they haven't technically won the title. And I think it's, it would be brutal. Um, the only other way you could do it is maybe you could, um, you could call the season off and, and have the current standing somehow reflected in the league table beginning next season. I remember when we had Calciopoli over here, you know, certain teams started on minus points. And I think you've had that as well in Portugal. Didn't Boavista have that or something back in the day? And yeah, et cetera. Portugal got the six points, but they, they finished the championship ahead uh, nine points something. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, you know, so there's that. You could go with that. But then even then, then that gets messy. I think um, I'm, I might be pessimistic. In an ideal world, I would say, okay, sure. We'll start up on 4th of May and we'll play three game weeks all through May and June and we'll get the season done. I think that would be amazing to see football every two, three days, league and then Champions League and Europa League, etc. I just don't know how feasible that is. And I think to try and award a league title on the basis of a partial standings is a really risky precedent. Yeah, if you're the team in second place, absolutely. If you're the team in first place, you're going to be chomping at the bit for them to close it and keep standing as it is. What I did here, guys, and this this is for everyone, I heard about a possible playoff of maybe the first teams, the first four teams, and then the bottom 16. I mean, that would be different. You know what I mean? Uh, obviously, they play, you know, like kind of knockout states to see who the champion would be. I mean, if you want to really shorten the season and come away with a champion, what do you guys think about that that idea? I think anything's on the table at this point. People are going to be so starved for uh, for football and for any entertainment once, and hopefully this all uh, passes, that I think people are going to be uh, just so starved for for football that anything is on uh, the table right now. But if we're if they're using June 30th as the uh, the absolute cutoff date for this season, I just did a quick uh, rundown of playing every three days. And the latest the league would have to start back up would be May 24th in order to fit in all their games uh, every three days. And that's including the the TASA final being on the 30th uh, itself. So we're still a couple of weeks from there, but I think it's pretty, uh, I think we're thinking too much like this is this situation is changing by the hour here i think it's really ignorant uh, of people trying to say that oh we'll uh, come to an agreement saying that the leagues will finish by the the 30th because this situation is changing by the hour yeah look it'll be difficult because just uh, this this morning and in, in portugal announces every morning how many uh infected 448 so so portugal is nowhere near uh yet of, of reaching peak uh not to mention 
the limited resources that they have in terms of of uh, of doctors in terms of 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 medical uh uh facilities that they could bring people in uh and also the thing that i'm getting from portugal is that not a lot of people are taking this thing serious there's i mean we saw it the other night over the weekend some people like i sudre uh, celebrating like it was nothing, drinking, drinking away. So there's a, a big part of the population that is not taking it serious. And I don't know if it's because uh, they don't realize the seriousness of it or because they're not as educated as they should be by the government and the local authority. So I don't really think I think that right now you could could definitely scrap the whole month of of April. Uh, in May, it will be very difficult uh, for uh, for the league to return. Uh, there's a couple things that they're they're looking at. Certainly, with the Euro today being confirmed as being canceled or being postponed till next year, it gives clubs and leagues to put uh, some kind of contingency plan uh, together as far as what's going to happen with the rest of the league. But certainly. Uh, Uncertain times in in Portugal, um, and, and by looking at Italy and, and perhaps seeing what Italy has gone through, and and certainly with 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 China now uh, reaching a state where they're kind of like in recovery, and there's not a significant amount of of new victims. Um, Italy is going to reach that same point. I think that Portugal is still very far from reaching that point, but the Portuguese league can then look towards uh, Italy as to what the federation and what the league will be doing there and then follow suit like many other federations and leagues uh, around the, around the world. Uh, but what, what I wanted to, to talk about in one of the topics, and I think you guys just, already uncovered a little bit was the awarding uh of uh, of who who is the champion right uh so there's a couple of things you know award as is stop as as things are now and just award uh, the league uh according to what the table standings are um the other one was award after the first round and the point behind that was that at this point all the teams have played against each other uh, regardless of whether they played home or away, but all the teams have played against each other because if you don't play the rest of the second half, um, there's going to be Porto's already p- played Befica twice, you know, just to use an example, but there's teams that haven't played the other teams twice. So I think that's where that angle is coming from in terms of, well, whatever was played in the first half of the league, that's what we're going to, and whatever the table positions, that's what we're going to be uh, be able to do. I Personally, as a Benfica, I don't agree uh, with that, uh, regardless of whether Benfica was in first or second. Um, I think personally, and, and I'll, I'll go to you guys and, and I'll ask, what is your opinion as to how it should be awarded? What do you think the, the fairest way? For me, I think that the, the, the league should be uh, annulled for this year. And I think that the, ta- the current table position should be used to award the places in Europe. That's what I think should be fair, regardless of whether Benfica was first or second. Uh, and look, if Benfica was first, I would hate to win a league in these conditions, right? So in the same manner, I can't be an hypocrite and and, and say the same thing. Uh, but I, I guess I'll ask you, Dave, what do you think would be the fairest way to award this league this year? Or yeah, if we're, is it even fair to award? Yeah, if we're coming back... Or if when if and when the league comes back, if we're don't have uh, any, if they're cutting off the season, we're starting fresh uh, right into the uh, 2021 season. 
I think you need to uh, have it null and void because even if uh, you do award a champion, it's going to always be have that asterisk uh, beside it because it was never a full season. So uh, I do agree that it has to be a null and void season. And there's always going to be a, a story uh, behind it when you look back in the uh, the history books uh, from it. You're going to remember that was the, uh, the coronavirus uh, year. And um, yeah, yeah. Of course, this is the Benfica podcast. People are going to come at us saying that, oh, that's easy for you guys to say in second place. But I think this is bigger than this is bigger than Benfica. This is bigger than football. This is this is worldwide. This is a serious, uh, serious matter. And uh, I think we can all put. Hopefully, would be able to put our uh, our sunglasses and our our, our footballism uh, aside. And just just scrap the season. The, no, no award, no champions. If we can, if we come to that point where we can't finish off the uh, the season, Patrick. Yeah, I think um, I really like your your idea. Actually, Alfred. I hadn't thought of that about um, the European places being reflected on the current league. So there, you actually retain a sense of sporting justice, but it's not complete. You know, you you are you are there is a bit of meritocracy. The table says this as and when the crisis struck, uh, you team, teams are going to go into Europe and then we'll figure it out based on coefficient, who does what. But yeah, I don't think it's fair to... Um, because it's not, it's not only about relegation, promotion, uh, who wins the championship, who gets into Europe. You know, even teams finishing in mid-table. In the Premier League years ago, it was a, it was a million pounds per place. I'm sure it's gone up. I'm not sure what it is elsewhere. But there's prize money involved. And there's all sorts of things that go on. I mean, the problem is if you have a null and void season, what goes on with statistics to those games? You know, this is a very minor thing. This is just me thinking out loud as a commentator. But what happens with the statistics? Are those games technically played? Has Cristiano actually played a thousand games or not? That's the big question. You know, just things things like that. I mean, it's very minor in the grand scheme of things. But I think in, in terms of the Portuguese league, in terms of Benfica, I get the logic behind first half of the season you've played everyone once but I think that would be a way of doing it if you'd played one or two rounds beyond that stage and then coronavirus came in you said you know what these last two weeks we're going to act as if they never happened but now we're, we're, we're three months beyond that sort of stage I think um, what have they played 20, 20 they got ten, 10 to go yeah exactly 24 games then I guess um, yep. in Portugal so um I think you're just a, a little bit too too far beyond that, really. Um, it's so hard. I think whatever decision you make, no one's you're not going to please everyone. Um, the idea of annulling a whole league season is pretty scary, especially across the board, because you know you've got sponsorships and you've got teams that maybe specifically spend a whole load of money because this was the season that they were going to really push for the title, or this was the season they're going to push for promotion. Or this one player they bought they bought in January was going to help them to stay up, you know, or or, or go up. Um, it's it's really really messy. But that's why I think we need to constantly keep in mind that this is out of everyone's hands. It's out of our control. It's coronavirus. The, you know, um, I think it was um, Antonio Costa said the other day in his in his address. He was like, you know, this, the survival of. Um, of, of, the, of the world population is at stake, you know, and I don't think it can be, 
can be overstated. Yesterday, Macron in France said that we're at war with coronavirus. You know, there's some really serious um, language being used. And I think that's why you can't simply say, this is the league table as of today. That's the way it ended. Or even if you, if you annul it or you, you, know, you just say that's void, then it's, it's going to cause a lot of headaches. And the, 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 the only thing that's going to heal it is time. You know, yeah. but then 10 years from now, you're going to have Porto fans. You know, the, the risk is you have Porto fans doing, I, I've seen a lot of similarities. So I'm going to get into trouble saying this, but I've seen a lot of similarities between Porto and Juventus in the way that they, uh, they approach winning and their notion of winning at times. Yeah. Um, and Juventus have made themselves a bit of a laughing stock at times with the number of Scudetto that they have listed at their at their stadium, two more than it's actually technically the case, you know, and um, and you you have a danger of that, you know. You had it with Rangers. Rangers um, went bust, and then you have Celtic fans saying, "Well, technically they're a new club now. Why are they able to keep these records?" You're always going to have stuff like that. Sporting that now, yeah. Exactly. How many more titles was it? Four. They won two, two more. They won eighteen. They said okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I can't keep track to be honest, but. Um, you know, I think you might, whatever happens, you're going to have people storming the training ground and trying to attack the players, I think. So. Yeah. Chris, what I, are, you, what are I, your thoughts? I haven't given it much thought, to be honest with you, until now, being brutally honest. And I know you sent out, you know, like a little email talking about things to tell you that we're going to touch up on here on the podcast. And you know me, Alfred. No, I fly by the seat of my pants. That being said, I thought about it while you guys were, were talking. Dave gave his opinion. You, Alfredo, and Patrick as well. And look, I don't like the annulling this season. That I don't like. Right. I think the fairest way um, to do things really is first six uh, place teams. They'll play a playoff uh, kind of like, you know, a knockout, uh, you know, seat them one place, six, two place, five, three place, four. Um, and then you go on from there. The bottom six fight for relegation and, you know, figure out a way. Whoever finishes first and second, uh, the, the two teams that go to the their, their little mini final, those two teams stay. And then the third place uh, team, if they, whatever, you know, that one, I don't even give it much thought about. That one doesn't make any sense. But you, you figure, you know what I'm talking about. Figure out a way to come up with a little playoff. The only thing that scares me about the whole playoff scenario is, guys, we know how we feel about football in Europe and about the promotion and relegation. Yeah. The thing that scares me is, let's say they do in Portugal and Italy and these countries, they go to these, uh, you know, the playoffs, the little playoff format, as I mentioned right now. It scares me. What if people really get behind that? Now they want this and their football going forward. Uh, well, even besides that, Chris, I mean, I'm looking at the table now. Sporting at 18 points behind Porto. If you do a playoff for the top four and the team fourth end up winning it, can you really say, you know, they, they won it on merit. They played them. It is what they should have beaten them then. I mean, look, it's... Mm -hmm. A, a merit over three games. Yeah. A merit over three games over uh, uh, over the yeah, 24 yeah. games. It's not uh, really fair. Guys, but no, I get it. I get it. Hold on. You, you're right. You guys are right. But at the end of the day, what's fair to anoint someone champion with ten, with 10 games remaining? Not Let's just say you give Porto the title or you give Benfica the switch and reverse. Both sets of fans, right, are going to come – you didn't give me an opportunity to fight for my title. You didn't give me another 10 games. Who's to say that I don't win the title in 10 games? Well, at least in this format, you have an opportunity to defend yourself. Porto has an opportunity to go out there and beat everybody that's put in front of them. So the pressure's all on them. 
But exactly. But at least they have an opportunity rather than yeah. or like forget Porto because Porto right now is in first place. And I got to give credit to Pinto Costa. I don't know if this is just music. Right. Pinto Costa said, look, we shouldn't be announcing champions. We shouldn't be, because right now the season is not canceled. It's postponed. And yeah. I, I'm shocked. I'm, I'm sorry. I thought I figured he'd come out and say, well, you know, thanks, Dan. We get the championship. So credit to him. But at the end of the day. Right. At least it gives Benfica a fighting chance to come out champions of this season rather than, you know what? Hey, you're one point behind and uh, you, you come out in second. I, I think that's unfair as well. And I'm not saying that for it could have been, you know, could have been Porto. It's unfair for whomever's in second place to not at least have the opportunity to fight for themselves. Now, that being said, I just really, 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 really hope that whomever makes the final decision. Uh, look, I don't, I care about Italian football, La Liga, but at the end of the day, I'm talking about more in Portugal because we know how easily everyone is influenced in Portugal. Okay. Um, so I, I just hope that whomever makes these final decisions regarding Portuguese football and the current standing and awarding champions, yada, yada, is not influenced by Benfica or Porto. I hope that they do generally make the best decision for the league, regardless of who it favors, regardless of who it affects. I just hope, you know, that that these loudmouths um, that we see going on in Portuguese football, that there's none of that going on. Yeah, look, I think that regardless of what decision is made, nobody's ever going to be happy with the decision that's made. Uh, so regardless of whether you're a nullet, whether you play a playoff, uh, whether you sh whether you extend this, the season with perhaps uh, some concessions given to players that were not a contract on June 30th, considering that these are extraordinary con uh, uh, um, circumstances. Uh, and look, maybe you the, then the player then each club extends the player's contract for for one more month uh, till the end of August or till the end of July, whatever it is. Uh, but I, I think that uh, I think the fairest way is to play the rest of the games and, and maybe because the Euro is now been postponed, maybe it will give an opportunity. But look, the way we've seen this pandemic go through the different countries and, and being that each country is at a different stage uh each league will come back. Not all leagues will come back at the same time. Each league will come back on their own when the country is good and ready to uh, be able to allow uh, people to congregate again. Uh, so whatever happens, it's nobody's going to be happy in terms of cutting the season short and not having the games played or the league played to the, to its full extent. Um I wanted to just uh, real quick turn our attention to uh, to Benfica and, and a few things that we have learned from from Benfica and from the leagues. Of course, um, last weekend, I think uh, last week around this time, uh, the Portuguese league had decided that the games were going to be played behind closed doors, uh, no attendance. Then around Thursday or Friday, I think the decision came down. That's it. We're suspending uh, everything. Uh, Benfica has come out. And they have, uh, they have, uh, they want, they they wanted to stay at the forefront in terms of the information, in terms of what they're doing, uh, what the with the players. So what we've been able to learn uh, from the director, their, their clinical director, uh, is that uh, the players were were sent home. They worked out one last day at uh, Stade Luz. That was the last time the players worked out together. They were sent home. They were sent home with a plan to. For a whole month, 
uh, if they were if they're not to leave their houses for a whole month, they have a plan in terms of, uh, you know, the regiment, their exercise regiment, whatever routines they need to have. Benfica is also providing these players with their meals. They're they're delivering meals to these players every single day. Um, they're being controlled by uh, a little watch that uh, that they have on uh, that controls how much sleep they get. Uh, they're also got video calls with the staff. So Benfica is really we've also often heard that Benfica's structure is one of the the the, the teams that is right up there with the with the best there are. But certainly seeing Benfica with a plan like this and what we've seen in the media, both from the media from the club, uh, it really does seem that Benfica got their their shit together. And you know, I don't want I don't want to I haven't read anything about other clubs, but it, I, I'm more concerned about Benfica. But it does seem that Benfica has their things together. The 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 structure to support the players, regardless uh, whether you're you're uh, closed out at home, whether there's a virus going on, has always been excellent. Uh, we've always we've always heard of that the players come to the club and all they really needed to to do is to to go and suit up and train and, and play every day. I mean, we've heard of instances where Vlakodimus's cat was stuck in in a, in a tree and uh, Benfica got the the cat down. Um, and this reminded me because Benfica FM went on a on a whole rant last week about all the conditions that these players are given on a day-to-day basis and yet they cannot put a, a, a good product on the field. But that's that's a conversation for, for another podcast and perhaps when we resume uh, the league. But certainly Benfica has been at the forefront in terms of the support, in terms of how uh, the staff um, has created these plans, in terms of how the club has, has uh, reacted to this whole thing. Uh, Chris, I'll ask you, what has been your, your feel in terms of what you read about Benfica and, and how uh, they're going about the, this whole pandemic? Look, I think they've taken the right steps in making sure that their players are all taken care of at the end of the day. If football, it is to to commence once again. They want their players to be at peak level. But that being said, look, it's it's all good and dandy. But at the end of the day, if we can't, if the world, if these governments, if we can't control the coronavirus, this is all going to be relevant. I mean, we need to take care of what's important first so that we can play football later. And so it's great that Benfica is taking these steps and they're organized and, you know, they take care of their players as good as anyone. It's, it's, it's good as a, as a fan of Benfica, it's good to see, but um, I mean, look, I, I, to me, <laughs> and I, maybe I'm sounding a little um, naive here or whatever the word may be, but look, I'm more worried about the coronavirus. I'm more worried about you know, Portugal being okay. And so we can get football back to where it belongs to the fans so we could all get involved and sit here. I'd much rather come on here and talk about Monkus and criticize the coaching staff and uh, offend people all day long than, than talking about the seriousness of what it is that we're going through right now, which is really scary. As I said at the beginning of the podcast, um, it's 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 right now it's nervousness. It's it's scary for, for, for those of us that have young family. I mean, it's just it's a scary, scary, scary time. So it's great that these guys are getting pampered. Beautiful, you know, but unfortunately, there's a lot of people that need a lot more help than these guys do, and and they're not getting it in Portugal. And I don't want to turn it that way, but at the same time, I don't really want to pat them on the back too much for 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 taking care of their own. 
Yeah, I mean, one of the clinical director also said that the methods that are being followed by Benfica should be an example uh, to the nation, and they also said that they were going to share that uh, with with the nation and, and some of the authorities. But uh, uh, taking away and and obviously the, the human aspect and and how it affects the population and how it affects every human being, uh, brother, sister, fathers, mothers, so on and so forth. The financial aspect is something that we can't get around here, right? There, um, there's people off of work. Uh, there's businesses shutting down. But in terms of uh, of of a of a club, right? And in Portugal, uh, there's a, an abundance of clubs that kind of fly by the seat of their pants. Uh, you know, in terms of the way they keep their books, right? That we've often heard of of players with uh, unpaid wages. Uh, but how impactful? Um, is this for clubs? I mean, clubs that have, have created their whole budget uh, for the season uh, and their their estimates on the season, taking into consideration that there's an X amount of games that are going to be played in my stadium, that's an, there's an X amount of people that are going to be attending, there's a game against Benfica that we usually it usually makes our year. Uh, and now, at the same time, you're paying players and you're not really benefiting off of any revenue because everything is shut down. Dave, I'll, I'll start with you, man. What are your thoughts on this? And, and do you think that this will leave a mark on some clubs in the in the Liga Nors that would be something that could endanger uh, their, their livelihood? Yeah, everyone's finances are, are taking a hit with this uh, this virus. Not just uh, Portuguese soccer clubs uh, or football clubs. It, it, like everyone's uh, personal finances, uh, I can only speak to uh, what I know here in Canada. I know, and uh, I think they're in the states that they're all proposing financial bailouts to help out to stimulate the economy again, but. I haven't heard of any uh, stimulus coming to Portugal, but uh, you, you've got to think that I think uh, that the soccer clubs are, 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 or the football clubs are going to have to get a, a piece of that pie if that that comes out. Uh, if there's any uh, uh, stimulus relief package, because uh, we're all taking a, a hit with this virus. It's all changed our, our day-to-day lives, our, 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 our regular well-being, and, and it's affecting every little business uh, from the uh, the cafes and uh, to to anything that, that is sports-related. And it, and it just goes by beyond sports at this point. It's just affected uh, everyone's day-to-day life. So I don't know what uh, the Portuguese uh, government plans on doing in terms of uh, an economic uh, stimulus package but you got to think that uh, the clubs um, the clubs got to be wanting a piece of that pie if there is one I, I very much doubt that it, that a stimulus package would go through uh, to any team in Portugal to be honest with you but Patrick what have you heard in in Italy in terms of how these clubs are dealing with this tremendous financial impact it's, it's very hard it's very hard to know because you know, we tend to focus on on all the top clubs, and I think this is going to be true in, in every country. I mean, I've seen examples in in the U.S. I saw Arthur Blank at Atlanta United said that he would be paying all of the casual workers, you know, people working at the concession stands on match day and things like that. But there's there's no nothing like that foreseen here at all. There are some government measures to help out people that are self employed. 
uh, some sort of employment benefits from that perspective. But I think a lot of clubs up and down the pyramid are going to suffer, as, as you said in, in your question. You know, they make financial forecasts on the basis of, okay, we're going to have 34 league games this season, then maybe we'll bring it up to 40 if we have, you know, with the, with the cup matches um, the way they are. Uh, and you, you just can't legislate if you have 10 games fewer at all in terms of gate receipts from the stadium. Um, you know, the groundsman, maybe he can still work, but other people that come in specifically when matches are being played, they're not going to work. Stewards, as I said, people run in the concession stands. Um, there's just so many people's livelihoods at stake here. And I think, but as, as Dave said, it's just businesses in general, really. You know, everyone here in Italy that owns a bar or a restaurant, they've had to close down for the moment. And God knows when they'll come, when they'll be able to reopen. And so I think this will have a, a serious consequence. I think there will be government measures, but I think it's very hard to, to envisage anything football related unless it were to come in the form of UEFA grants, which would then be distributed by, yeah. by, the, by the Football Association, by the Fijici. Yeah, and and Patrick, just to add, to stay with you in in on your field, on your industry. I mean, you're in the broadcasting industry. How impactful is this for 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 TV stations or networks that have paid uh, millions for the rights of of these games, and now not to be able to have these games, not to be able to capitalize on the advertising that goes along with these games? How impactful is that? And do you think that? Uh, this would would somewhat change what will go on in the future. It's massive, absolutely massive. I remember when we had the initial spate of those two weekends with some games being called off, some being played behind closed doors, and Sky, who are the main broadcaster over here of Serie A, led with this two-minute editorial feature from their director, um, basically just saying there's nothing, the only thing worse than than football not being played, his matches being played behind closed doors. And they, they really targeted the league. And that was a bit of an eye-opener. It was, it was very direct. But as you said, advertising revenue, um, the broadcast deal is up for Serie A, both domestically and international rights, at the end of 2021. So we've got one more season with the current rights deal. But the way things are going, I mean, the value is just going to drop off dramatically. There was talk of a Serie A channel in the same way that La Liga have done it. Um, but yeah, I mean, broadcasters being hit by this massively, lots of people are out of work. Uh, there was an outbreak of coronavirus at the Sky Sport studios. So they had to close everything for a day to sanitize the area, uh, sterilize everything. So it's, it's just had a massive knock on effect. You have radio shows, you have TV shows with nothing to talk about. You know, I've got friends that, that still obviously work, former colleagues that work at Inter TV. How do you feel that? fill the schedule there's only so many classic matches you can watch you know just from practical terms it, no one could legislate for this with football is such an integral part of our lives and football is so dominant for nine ten even 11 or 12 months a year that no one ever ever thought of contingency plans for this why would you you just couldn't ever see it happening I read, I, I could be wrong, but I read an article regarding La Liga, at least for La Liga, all right, because that's the article I read about, which is the reason why the league was going forward with playing behind closed doors is because without playing those matches, 
TV stations, they wouldn't have to pay for the for the rights to those games. So I think it, that, that, to answer your question more specifically, Alfredo, I think they have to play in order. To, so I don't think that they give them a check up front. I think it's based on obviously per game or whatever the contract is. But if they don't play these games, the league, well, yeah, you have to meet the contract conditions. Yeah, exactly. yeah, so if they don't play the games. That's why they're forcing through playing a lot of leagues. We're forcing pl- through playing through, you know, closed doors because therefore, at least to televised, it is what it is. And they're able to meet their obligation and therefore get their money up front, Alfredo. Yeah, look, in, in terms of impactful to 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 clubs, right? Um, we're just on 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 the post Benfica, and we didn't talk about this last uh, last uh, podcast. Uh, the post of of Benfica's announcement in terms of what was a, a record setting uh, announcement in terms of their financial health, right? A hundred million, whatever it was, um, but. Here's the thing: How for Benfica that it's fine, right? Because we're we're healthy, and regardless of the impact this is going to have, again, Benfica is much like any other Tondela of the world. Was a team that anticipated having those games at Stadio Luz. Uh, I mean, you got uh, liters and liters of beer that are sold at Stadio Luz that now Benfica is not going to be able to to capitalize uh, capitalize on it. But in, in terms of uh, of other teams, teams not, they're not so well uh, in terms of their finances, and I'm talking about one team in in particular. Um, how do you think this is going to uh, to affect them, Christian? Well, look, uh, one thing, and I wanted to touch on this because we talked about uh, uh, Patrick brought this up of, of of you know attending p- people that work at these stadiums. You know, obviously this trickles down to a lot of people, like, as you mentioned, beer sell everybody. This this affects everybody. You know, one thing that the initiative that started here in the United States, and obviously these leagues make so much money here, and you can't really compare to to, to the Tondelas of the world, to the Ovs of the world. But what these athletes have done is a lot of pl- athletes are donating money out of their own pocket to pay for these part-time workers and stuff. So that's the beautiful part that you're seeing people's, uh, you know, the kindness of people's hearts, you know, coming out of their way, going out of their way to make sure that these less fortunate people are being taken care of. And obviously, you know, Benfica could possibly do that, pay their, their, their you know, Porto Benfica could pay their, I don't know about Porto, they're broke as well, but pay their employees, their stewards and whatever. Unfortunately for the smaller clubs, we don't, I don't think that's going to that, that you know that they have the money to do so. Um, I read today that a club in the lower league in, in England, Patrick, maybe could tell me the name of the team. I forget, uh, Barnett, something. I forget what it is. But uh, they they've laid off everybody with the exception of players because players are on the contract. So they've laid off every employee because they can't meet the payments. So this is the longer this goes, the more it's really going to affect. And as look, in, in, in just like in everyday life. The rich people are able to survive. The people that live paycheck to paycheck are really going to be the ones that are going to suffer the consequences of this. And this is why I said before when, you know, you're asking me about Benfica players being pampered and it's beautiful, right? It's a beautiful thing. But again, the lesser people need to be taken. Those are the people that I really worry about because without them, things aren't going to be able to get back to normal. So um, we know, unfortunately, the teams that aren't prepared teams that don't have that cash reserve, teams that don't have the means, they're going to be the ones that are really going to be affected uh, by this. And Alfredo, it, 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 we hope that this, that this, you know, coronavirus, because but, it's not only affecting the Portuguese soccer teams and whatever, it's not only affecting the sporting world. We hope that 
this really gets taken care of and, and taken as serious as possible. And like Patrick says, people in France and in Portugal are afraid of people went to the beach. People are not taking this serious. This really is affecting everyone, not just the sporting world, man. Like the regular guy that has a regular restaurant down the street, he's not going to get a cash a cash bailout by the government, right? The 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 the, the opposite of the world, as you've since they're not going to get a cash bailout. It, it, this is it's really scary times, and I need people to understand the importance and the severity of the situation. But at the end of the day, soccer don't mean shit. But but I wanted to ask you, Chris, uh, and more directly, how do you think this will affect our primary rivals? I mean, you got a rival that is uh, in trouble uh, with UEFA, needing to to do uh, X amount of sales in order to to pass that fair play thing. You got Sporting, who just had a huge investment in getting Ruben Amorim, and now you got this this impact to their finances because of the coronavirus. How do you do you think they, they will be able to be to, to survive or do you think they'll get knocked down a couple more steps? Look, I, if it's strictly on the coronavirus, I think those two clubs, they'll be all right. Their day to day life will suffer a little bit, but I think they'll be all right. Where I think Porto is really and that's where I think they're going to concentrate everything on is going to be on the league stand. As we talked about a few minutes ago, talking about standings and who goes to the Champions League, who does. I think that's really the one thing that could you know make or break them is regarding where they're going to finish in the standings, if they're going to be able to qualify for the champ. Because at the end of the day, that's 40-something-plus million bucks that's going to come into the to, to your bank account rather than the the day-to-day. -day. Because, look, in Portugal, it's not like the United States. A lot of those people are, you know, the hourly workers that come in and work security and service. Like, so I think a lot of those guys, unfortunately for them, But Porto Sport, even if he could be able to let those guys go and they'll get new guys when 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 the whole operation gets back up and going. So I don't think they're going to be affected in terms of that on a day to day basis. They're going to, you know, obviously lose gates, uh, you know, but I, that's going to happen with everybody. I do think they are big enough where they're going to come out. okay. it's not really going to hamper them that much. I think the thing that's really going to hamper them is going to be where they finish in the standings off. Yeah, absolutely. Um. Just that, you know, I don't have much else uh, unless you guys wanted to mention something. I just got a couple more things to go, but I don't know if you uh, if you guys wanted to mention anything in terms of, uh, of some of your thoughts on this Corona and, and how it's affecting uh, the sport and how it's affecting Benfica. I don't know if any of you guys had anything else. If, if not, we'll just uh, we'll just close it out with a couple more items and we'll say uh, Arrivederci. How is that, Patrick? Was that good pronunciation? Beautiful, man. <laughs> um, so the couple items that I had, I, couple, I'm assuming you guys don't have anything else. Dave, good? Well, let's see what items you're going to bring up to the table here because I think you're going to touch base on one that I was uh, going to bring up. If uh... Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, well, that, that last practice at Stade Luge, Gabriel was on the pitch, which was uh, encouraging. Uh, for Befikishas, there's a lot of Befikishas that uh, correlate uh, Gabriel's absence to Befikishas' uh, drop in form. Also, uh, Pedrinho, uh, official, signed till 2025. I think the, I think now, I know the clause is 120 million clause. So those are the only two items that uh, that I had. Uh, and closing this out. Dave, was that what you had? Yep, I was going to touch on uh, Gabriel returning to training just to uh, yeah. bring some some light and some happiness uh, in a 
dark and somber world that uh, we're currently uh, living in. Yeah, that's about the only positive. And I was going to do a short video on this, but I figured I'd save that to come on a podcast and I'll do a short video on this a little bit later. But the only positive is it gives guys like Gabriel, who are so important to Benfica, an opportunity to recover. Uh, if there's any positive to take from this, yeah. uh, that's about it, it, you know it's about the only one you're going to get in. But obviously, it, it has the same effect on our, our direct opposition, which is they whatever guys have knocks, those guys will be able to recover as well. So it's just important that these guys isolate themselves. That 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 just population in general, man. That you do what your medical officials tell you to do. Uh, I don't know how to stress it any more than I already do. Um, we need to 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 be aware of our surroundings, be aware of our peers. I mean, this is important. We need to do everything that the government officials tell us to do, whether you like it or not. Um, I know this has probably been said a million times, guys, and I'm not trying to be cheesy because normally I'm the clown of the podcast, but right now I think this this needs to be taken serious. You know, some of us, our family members, uh, you know, especially in Portugal, Alfredo, you know this as well. I'm not sure about England, Pat. I apologize, but I'm pretty sure it's the same way throughout Europe. You know, our, our fathers were, they had to go to the army. My dad had to fight in Mozambique or he got shot. Like, these are the mans that they had to, you know, put their life at risk. We're being asked to stay home. You know, <laughs> like as Pat just said, we all got iPhones. We got we got computers. We got Netflix. We got I mean, come on, guys. I mean, if, if really you got to sacrifice a couple of weeks of your life to make sure that that your family members and, and your friends will be here in a month or two. For, so you guys could go back to the sporting event and enjoy the beautiful game and, you know, do what you do in life and the things that you love to do in life. If you just got to sacrifice a couple of weeks, man, do it. Do it. I know it sucks. Do it. You know what I mean? It's not the end of the world, guys, if, if, if you follow these medical officials. So let's not act like irresponsible clowns and let's do everything that, that's needed to, to, to get over this uh, this crazy uh, pandemic that's going on around the world. And we hope to celebrate many, many Benfica victories going forward to get that side of the loose. Yeah. Look, it's certainly easier to stay home. That is what is we're being asked. Uh, but Patrick, I wanted to uh, to thank you for for taking the time and and coming on. I know that uh, life hasn't been easy uh, for you and and many Italians there. Uh, great for you to join us on St. Patrick's Day, no less, as we record this in the United States. Uh, but certainly, thank you very much. Yeah, my pleasure, guys. Always always great to come to come back on uh, Benfica podcast. Quick shout out to uh, to Peggy and uh, Pete, the Dominican Republic, as well. And uh, yeah, no, I hope um, I'll come on again uh, as and when Benfica win the title on uh, on a playoff. How about that? Yeah, that'll be excellent. We'll take you up on that. Dave, parting thoughts? No, just stay safe every there, everybody out there. Uh, I know we were joking around last podcast to wash your hands 10 or 20 seconds, but really that's, that's what you got to do. You got to be smart. You got to be safe and just keep it simple. Wash your hands and stay at home. Yeah, wash your hands and while singing Serbifikist, and uh, you uh, your hands will be clean as a whistle. Um, just a, just a, a quick word. Uh, obviously, you've heard about the appreciation or sometimes underappreciation that happens that, or that goes through uh, the medical professionals. These are folks that are working extremely extremely uh, long hours uh, that have been uh, exposing themselves. Uh, with with no fear, obviously, because their their profession is to care for others, uh, and and such a selfless act 
uh, and tremendous sacrifice. I wanted to to give a shout out to to those medical professionals out there. And I know that a lot of them are struggling. A lot of them haven't seen their families. A lot of them are even afraid uh, that they can contract the virus and, and bring it home for, to their family. So for them, a, a, a special word of uh, of um, of appreciation. Uh, next week, we'll, we'll try to get back on here and with, with some more uh, content and my apologies if it was a little bit somber but this is the times that we live in i think that everybody needs to be aware like dave and patrick and christiano said you need to be aware of your surroundings you need to be aware of your of your um of where you live aware of everything and and do heed uh, the advices that you get from government officials whether it's uh, uh local or federal definitely heed that advice and and follow it man it's a small price to pay to be safe not only you but all the others around you um so thank you very much for 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 listening to us this week uh next week we'll try to bring you some more content uh being that everyone's locked at home i know that benfica fm is doing something special tomorrow uh they're flashing back to the 6-3 against sporting definitely catch those guys benfica independent there's also uh tons of content over there and everybody's uh contributing and everybody's providing content bifigindependent.com uh available uh for free or on patreon with some exclusive content thanks again and uh we'll talk to you again next week <laughs>